Welcome to the re-release project of the Keeping Things Alive podcast, which is the republication of episodes that were originally recorded and published between 2016 and 2020 out of Western New York. My name is Laura Evans. I'm a former environmental lawyer, planner, and nonprofit staffer. I also wrote a book called Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law. The Keeping Things Alive podcast is here to explore the opportunities and challenges as we all live together on this beautiful, living, and interconnected planet Earth. Yeah, (laughs) it will be live and you will be in it and we're about to start it right here tonight. Hey, welcome everybody. Conversation with Jim Anderson. We got another great show uh, in studio. We do have a guest. We have an environmental attorney, and her name is Laura Evans. And you know what? Listen, write this down. You need to check out Keeping Things Alive. It's a blog. It's on SoundCloud. It's um, it's produced by Laura. And if you want to catch up on some good conversation on topics that matter. Check it out. You're going to be hearing more, and, and Laura's not a stranger. She'll be back more often than uh, than not <laughs> because of the importance of, of the topic and the work that she's dealing with around the environment. As you know, um, there are a lot of concerns about the air, the water, the, the quality of the land, and as you know, climate change is the question, the, the subject matter all over the world. And as you know, we've had some actual experience with the changing weather conditions, and we have also had some experiences with spilled fuel and companies who are not disposing of their waste in the appropriate way. And then our facilities, when I say facilities, are particularly our state entities who are supposed to look out and ensure quality and proper maintenance uh, are in question. And we're going to be talking about some of that because there's a lot of action going on around all the elements of the environment. And one thing I know that we all need to get up to speed on and really understand what what the conversation is about when people say West Valley. Now, if you don't know what West Valley is, I think I'm going to come right out of the hopper and start off with my guest as I welcome her and have her start with that West Valley piece, and then we'll go further. So let me just say again, welcome, Laura. Thanks, Jim. Hi. Hey, I, it's, I'm always pleased to have you. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> and, uh, and I want to, I, I do, I want to start right out with the um, West Valley Okay. You know, there's a lot of talk about West Valley. Some people don't even know what it is. And um, what can you tell us? Of what should we be aware of? Yeah, well, I would say that a lot of people don't know what it is, actually. It's not just some. And so West Valley Demonstration Project is a nuclear waste site that um, it was operational in the late 60s, early 70s, processing mostly um, military waste, but also some nuclear power waste from power generators. And um, so they processed this waste for about six years, and it really wasn't working out. This was before a lot of the environmental laws were passed after the first Earth Day in 1970. So wasn't a lot of planning involved. And 
basically they've been trying to put a plan in place to deal with this nuclear waste and chemical waste that's been left over from that six years of processing nuclear waste. Um, they've been dealing with it since 1980. Wow. So this is a, it's located on a very high steep plateau on shale and not super solid ground. So mm. it's also vulnerable to um, increased precipitation and storms. And so it is 30 miles south of Buffalo, New York. It's on, there's a lot of water streams that go through it, and then it drains into Buttermilk Creek, which mm. goes into Cattaraugus Creek, which flows into out towards Sturgeon Point on Lake Erie. And that's, you know, Lake Erie is the source of Erie County's drinking water. Um, the Niagara River flows up to Lake Ontario, where Toronto is. And so this nuclear waste, high level and low level, but both are not good for human health, um, that is sitting, you know, 30 miles upstream of our water supply right now. Wow. And it's been going on a long time. It's not a fun topic, so people don't talk about it. But um, the big deal about it right now and why people are noticing is that the Department of Energy and NYSERDA, they're both um, working on this public comment process and this final planning decision on how to clean up the nuclear waste at West Valley. Mm. There's a lot of options for partial cleanup, full cleanup, um, just kind of, I don't know, holding in place. Uh, so. They've been making these decisions since 1980, but this is apparently the final round. And so there have been activists and concerned citizens working on this since it was planned and was processing nuclear waste. And so, you know, they're getting a lot older now. They're in their 70s, but yeah. they see this as like a final chance to do some public input on what happens to the site. And they're trying to educate people about what it all means for Western New York and the Great Lakes region. Hmm. So at West Valley, have there been um, um, incidents where our, our waters, our, our environment period has been endangered, uh, uh, some infraction occurred? Uh, and I would also add to that question, uh, is that the only plant that that is close to us in the western New York area that we should be concerned about, or, or is it? This is the big one. I know there are some um, nuclear waste <coughs> deposits in places from the Manhattan Project mm -hmm. um, around western New York, but this is the big one because it is yeah upstream of in the Great Lakes watershed. Um, it's actually. One of the people I interviewed for my podcast said they believe it is the um, only nuclear waste site that has its own act of Congress. So this isn't just like regulations and executive agencies. Like there's actually a West Valley Act that mandates certain amounts of cleanup. And I mean, maybe that was just a coincidence, but I also think that um, sometimes like I, I grew up in Western New York and I, you know, live here now. And I think that it's not always, people aren't always aware of like what a big deal it is to live in the watershed of 20% yeah. of the world's freshwater, and we do. And so this nuclear waste facility is a big deal. Um, there hasn't been any sort of like large scale disaster. They've, you know, been spending billions of dollars to keep this contained and cleaned up 
since 1980. Um, but they, um, they have found um, traces of, you know, radioactivity that could be, you know, matched with West Valley um, in the Niagara River. So it's not like it's not already like there because, I mean, it's invisible. Right. It's, and you know, you, know you, you need really special tools to measure it. We're not really testing our water quality for radioactivity. And so um, at least not at the scale that's needed and in the places that are required. So. Wow. So, you know, when you think about these plants, and uh, we were talking before we went on air how a lot of people uh, there, I just don't know, don't know uh, uh, the threat that these kind of plants uh, imp- uh, create for us, and what can they do about it? Right, and why do you want to know? You know, you have, like, day-to-day things to deal with, and you hear enough problems with all sorts of things and so to actually um experience uh like to think about nuclear waste on top of all that is just too big for the day-to-day and yet it's important at at this very point because in the whole environment as we talk about moving towards clean renewable energy um it puts into question uh do we need to shut this plant down or what do we need to do there? Right. Um, well, that's so New York State actually just um, subsidized the nuclear power industry in New York State um, and gave some a lot of money, billions of dollars to at least two nuclear power plants. This is um, at West Valley is really just the waste that was produced in the late 60s, early 70s. And that's the problem. Like, Nobody knows what to do with nuclear waste. There's no current federal repository for nuclear waste. And so this is like a problem with our, you know, scientific uh, progress that, you know, we've been able to create this energy, but we haven't been able to figure out what to do with the waste. So is that why um, right now these thing, uh, what they call scoping hearings, is that connected to the, is that why these hearings are going on or it's much broader um well it's because the um, department of energy and uh, NYSERDA for new york state energy research something acronym um those two are going through um a federally mandated environmental review process. So uh, they're following the National Environmental Policy Act, which provides these certain opportunities for public comment. And so it's mandated by federal law. And so that is why um, they're about to do a supplemental EIS to finish all their phased planning of what to do with West Valley. And so they have to have this public comment period. It's open right now, and um, it's open until April 23rd, 2018. So you can actually submit public comments by email or written letter, that kind of thing. Or there's going to be information sessions next week um, where people can kind of tour around some posters, find out what's going on, then hear a presentation, and then um, have the opportunity to make public record, public comments into the record. This is, you know, this is important because as I think about it, you know, um, a large part of the community, when they hear this, I'd consider it a call to act, a call to act, 
and action that they need to take, they shy off, one, because they don't think this is an issue that they can grapple with. Um, they don't really understand it because they haven't gotten a lot of information. And part of, um, of the challenge is to give them the information. It's not the, uh, it's not the most uh, desiring conversation I know that people want to hear, but it's a necessary one. And in this, in 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 doing so, it makes me want to ask you. With that as the backdrop, how do you view the efforts that need to be done to make this issue important, and uh, the masses of people out there? Do you do you think it's picking up any traction, or what are your thoughts about the movement so far around this? Right. Well. The first thing that I would say is that there have been really diligent small groups that have been tracking this literally the whole time. And um, the one woman that I interviewed, Joanne Hammeister, she um, has taken, like, collected documents for um, the whole time, decades. She's been taking boxes and boxes to SUNY Fredonia Mm -hmm. um, and working with their library staff to archive all of her stuff. So there are people working on it. But I would say that the thing that is so interesting to me about the movement right now is that um, it really started with Standing Rock in 2016, or yeah, late 2016, early 2017, um, and just the concept of water is life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the reason that, or something that has really changed with the environmental movement or a place where it can really gain traction is that concept of water is life, like fighting for something, protecting something. And so this particular nuclear issue is our water supply. I mean, it's our lifeblood. It's everything that we're doing in the community. It doesn't matter. Um, Or it just, it gets eliminated so much if people's health is so poor after a nuclear waste disaster that would ruin our water supply. And it's not only our water supply, like as a community in Buffalo, it's 20% of the world's water supply. So it's just a really, um, it's a really important deal. And it's not like there's um, openings for public comment all that often. I mean, this particular like public comment opportunity hasn't happened since like over a decade and there isn't really a plan for it to happen again Mm -hmm. and the only reason that it's even happening is that um, groups back in the 70s and 80s fought and sued and required them to be doing these types of environmental impact statements Mm. now you know um, with these hearings particularly and because you you mentioned uh, and I'll ask you to uh, mention some of those dates again um, uh, here in Buffalo, when the hearing is uh, occurring, um, some people may not go because they're not always sure what they should say. And so, since I have you here, what would be some of the things that you would suggest that people should should think about saying uh, on the record? Right. Um, I think that, so the purpose of the public comment period is for them to Uh, find out what the public thinks for different alternatives of cleaning up the site. And what we as a community want is a full cleanup. Like we don't want a partial cleanup. We don't want to leave things in the ground. We want 
a full cleanup. So that would be something that anyone from the community can demand. And that's a that's a real alternative. Um, the other thing, let me think. Uh, that's really the biggest one is full cleanup. And then also just talking about how important water is to you and your health mm -hmm. and how you would get sick if the water was contaminated and you, again, want to make sure that there is a full cleanup. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I would say, if um, people have the opportunity tomorrow, uh, Thursday, March 15th, from 6 to 7.30 at the Crane Branch Library, there is going to be an information session about how the public scoping comments will work if you wanted to attend a hearing just to see what's going on or if you wanted to make your voice heard. I think there is some strength in numbers. Um, you don't have to worry about like uh, filling in a gap or something like the message will be there, but to show some strength behind that from as many people in the community as possible, that would mm -hmm. that would make a difference. Uh, listeners, um, <clears throat> this this topic I know for some of you is like um, very dry, uh, <laughs> but maybe that's good. I mean, because the the waste from these plants, uh, the there is no real. Um, anything they can do, they can't get rid of it other than to what uh, put in it, create a safe storage that would allow for us to contain it until we find a way forward. Yeah, that's basically how it's working right now. They want it to be dug up and then contained in place, have security 24-7, have it be really secure from storms and I don't know whatever can come from the air and so um yeah it's uh that's the main thing i guess the other thing that people could point out in comments is just observations about more extreme weather events mm -hmm. we've had like a 70 percent increase in precipitation over the past couple of years and we are supposed to get more precipitation in the future which w causes more erosion and problems at west valley so just to make sure that they're really considering that information. And, I mean, they are going to be looking at the scientific data about precipitation, but I think people's lived experiences is also very important and can't be refuted. So, in a real sense, the <clears throat> this waste uh, can actually be playing a greater part in our community more than we're aware of. So, for instance, I know a while back we had a, another discussion. One of the things uh, uh, in in the community, because of the presence of this kind of waste and the lack of it being um, maybe contained appropriately, opens up the possibility for other kind of germs, I'll call it germs, mm -hmm. that can infect the greater population that we're not even aware of. Um, yeah. We're still, we're just at the front door of, uh, beginning to look at what waste like this does. Yeah, it's it's definitely a Pandora's box. However, like we humans put this waste there, and there is a lot of brain power and money and community support and it's possible to have a thoughtful full cleanup here but it does require a lot of 
strategy and planning and the will to actually find a solution and do it instead of just passing the buck on to the next generation. Well, you, you mentioned something that's going to really be a, a challenge, the will, because as you look at what we're seeing, some of the older generation that has sort of gotten in front of mind, I don't live my life, I'm retired, just riding off into the sunset. <laughs> And not necessarily strongly engaged on the action line to make change. Yeah. As well as the education line to, mm-hmm. to get people to understand and know what's going on. I, I want to give you an opportunity uh, in this universe of the environment and, and the issue that you look at uh, to, also, to invite you to, to also raise them up uh, as we talk. For instance, um, um, what's happening around the Allegheny. Okay, yeah, this is something that I just found out about, um, I guess maybe a week or so ago, but I actually went to a meeting about it yesterday. And it's the Ohio, uh, the Allegheny River, and the Seneca Nation has been deeply engaged uh, with protecting this river because there is a fracking wastewater treatment plant being proposed at the headwaters of the Allegheny River in Mm. Cowdersport, Pennsylvania. So um, there's no fracking uh, for natural gas in New York State. That's great, Um, but it is allowed in Pennsylvania. But they don't have a way to dispose of the waste. It's very similar to nuclear, but, you know, a little different. But they want to send it (laughs) to us. Right. um, Well, (sighs) they want to process it and... There is a startup company that believes that they can um, safely filter out fracking fluid and put it into the Allegheny River without any problems. Um, but they are there's actually radioactivity in that water from being pumped underground and put back up. So the thing that I'm thinking is, like, if they've actually figured out how to get rid of radioactivity, they need to start communicating with Bus Valley. Because, I mean, it just it doesn't exist really. So um, this plant is um, proposing to put 40,000 gallons of treated fracking fluid into the Allegheny River. And um, it's pretty unacceptable. And so the Seneca Nation um, and other, um, other Native peoples are gathering and organizing very strongly to protect the river. And um, they are, you know, reaching out to other allies in the community um, and just trying to educate people about what's happening because although it is taking place in Pennsylvania, it immediately comes over the line into New York State and, again, Lake, Great Lakes watersheds. So, um, wow. yeah, it's, an, it's a new one. This, uh, you know, and people thought all they had to worry about is <laughs> the changes in the sky. Uh, but we really have to be very vigilant with what's going on with our environment, the water, the land, and and see. Uh, some other things uh, in in that universe you um, want to bring mention to us on? Sure. Well, I also want to say that it does seem like, oh, this is like one more thing I have to worry about. Um, but it is to me all very connected um i know i've talked to you about this before like i feel like you know where we buy things like how we get our food if we grow our food um Mm. what those kinds of things are all connected and so um 
you know, keeping the water clean is like the responsibility of our government. And so when we're holding the government accountable for other things, they're often making poor decisions in this area as well. And so it's a very um, intersectional issue and it could be addressed that way, I believe. Um, but there's a lot of growing pains to get there. Right. And so when you're seeing these different like environmental justice, social justice, climate change work all coming together, it's it's getting messy, but it's really necessary work. I'm glad you mentioned that because um, one thing for sure, people have been behaving in what we uh, often known as silo-like behavior, yeah. only looking at the issue they like or that you know entertains them the most. And the reality is, is that we need to be aware of the connection across all. You can't care about water and not care about land. Can't yeah. care about land and water and not care about air. In other words, you can't care partially. You got to care about the whole. We need them all. Yeah, this is a good time for me to read a quote. Um, it's a phrase from Movement Generation, which is a think tank community group out of Oakland, California. And they say, what you do to the land, you do to the people, and what you do to the people, you do to the land. Mm. And that is really how I see it, and I think how it's possible to move through some of these issues um, because of, yeah, the connections, the interconnection. Wow. You know, um, when, when I think about the work in this area, um, People need to understand you can be a citizen scientist uh, uh, on this, and you don't have to. It's not a lot that you have to do. I mean, just being vigilant, taking note of the change. Yeah, it's funny that you should say that because um, April 14th is going to be the March for Science, but it's also uh, Citizen Science Day, and so people that are working on those two activities like in Buffalo and Western New York are talking to each other and nice. uh, so April 14th um, somewhere in Buffalo I believe ending maybe at Canal Side there will be a very big event and so yes yeah, citizen science I know we've talked about this before and I've never had a really great answer besides just keeping a journal but these people will actually teach citizens how to do real citizen science. And, oh, well, uh, folks, so stay tuned for that. And when yeah. we get more information, we, uh, we'll definitely be sure. We'll have Laura back here to, <laughs> to share it with us. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. folks, I know for a lot of people, they kind of shut down through the winter and the cold weather, but uh, spring has sprung. Uh, pretty soon the weather will be changing, and all you spring and summer warriors <laughs> will be ready for action. But don't get into action without information, and that's what we hope to provide. And that's one thing you can be sure that Laura Evans, whenever she comes, uh, we're going to get that. And I tell you what, I, I mentioned it at the top of the show, but check out her blog on SoundCloud. It's called Keeping Things Alive. And I'm telling you, the conversation and the work you're doing, some years from now, folks will be looking back and they say, I remember when she was talking about this. Years from now, those who, who hear us talking now will be grateful for sharing and keeping a light in the window on this subject. And uh, for sure, we're going to have Laura doing, continuing to keep us up to date. Uh, Lord, um, I know we got a few more time, a little couple more minutes, yeah. and uh, I want. I, 
Senate. Oh, uh, oh, that's right. Can any comment on it? Um, yeah, Stephen Hawking. He passed away today. Yeah. Um, and he passed away on Pi Day. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I think that, yeah, that's really incredible. And I was thinking about that on my way here. Um, and so to get ready for this interview, I listened to my interview with Joanne Hammeister, the West Valley nuclear project person. And um, it was just fascinating. She was the one that had been uh, like a computer scientist, you know, kind of like uh, hidden figures. Like mm-hmm. she was a woman yeah. that was like a computer brainiac and uh, in her spare time kept track of West Valley. And she's in her 70s. Wow. And you can't pass on that like mind and experience and knowledge. Like, so that's kind of how I feel about Stephen Hawking right now. And I think it's going to be really interesting to like reread like what he had to say and really think about his reflections on humanity because he's not here anymore to do it. So, um, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, yeah, how, how to pass on that knowledge. Indeed. You know, um, uh, this is something, folks, that, that showed no matter what situation you're facing in life, physically, um, um, economically, there's a contribution you can make to the betterment of life. You that that you have much as much skin in life as anybody else, and so you should always be trying to figure out. What can you do to make it better? And as you make it better for yourself, you make it better for each other. In other words, I'm telling you, pick up and start picking up on information and more knowledge about these issues because you got no other air, no other land, no other water uh, that you can claim. And if we don't take care of it from the East Coast to the West Coast, from the North to the South, and indeed all over the world, we're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, time flies, and um, um, so I'm going to say bye to Laura, but I'll give you the last words, Laura, and you know you'll be back. Um, uh, hopefully, uh, she'll be sitting in someday when I'm not here to to, <laughs> to bring an update on the environment and then keep us energized on this issue. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's been great to be here. Uh, I'm really happy to be on here again, talking with you. Um, yeah, water is life, so like, <laughs> let's keep going. Yeah, we'll have part two of this conversation next week because there's a lot to it, and we're going to be talking more about the hearings that are coming up. And uh, keep it locked here at Power 96, WUFO, the Mix 1080. And um, just, hey, look, folks, don't sit life out. Get involved. The revolution has started. You're part of it. Let's get to work. Peace and love. Thank you for listening to the Keeping Things Alive podcast. For more information about sustainability, this podcast, and my book, Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law, please visit www.keepingthingsalive.org.